Dickens had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. Talking baseball, Klazuski Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan. This is the Coach and Kernan Show. We're on episode 125 right now. I can't believe it's been that many. And before we introduce our guest, I uh, always like to let Kevin share about his stories, but want to give a reminder to our audience. We're up to 12,300 subscribers right now. We're very appreciative of the support we're getting. Just remember to make, make certain when you go on the website, Download, listen, like, subscribe so we can get credit for it and continue to provide you with the great content we're doing with our six shows every week. Um, also, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. As you know, I've come out of my cave and decided to engage in Facebook over the last three weeks, and we're getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to 125 uh, questions per morning. Uh, this morning was up to 160. And I'll try to respond to all everybody individually, but I'll get one on online and Facebook, and hopefully it's it's pertinent to what you guys are going through in the sports world. But with that, Kevin, welcome back to the show, the star of our show here. And uh, again, I hate to be redundant with it, but great articles this week, again, touching on some sensitive points in baseball that only you can touch on in the way you do uh, and, and resonate uh, just emotion everywhere in a positive way. People just crave your articles. Yeah, I got a lot of response on the last two, especially the pizza box. Pizza box time, basically, article where, um, you know, all the rule changes, taking it away from baseball, just play the game. It's at ball9.com. Uh, you can read it. Uh, you have to read it because it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't, uh, it's pretty deep and fun. And I make, have a lot of laughs in there because I don't take these people seriously anymore. You can't. And um, it's, they're ruining the game in every way possible. Uh, they don't even know baseball, as our buddy Jim Cott says, uh, and what we say all the time. He said it the other day about pitching. The guys in charge of pitching don't know pitching. So, um, yeah, this is a truth you're not going to get anywhere else. And then I also did a column on Manny Machado. I've known Manny forever. Met him in uh, in uh, Dominican when Alex Rodriguez invited, uh, introduced us. Uh, Manny came down to David Ortiz's golf tournament as a young, young player before he was a star. And and A Rod told him, and you know, I have my uh, I had my ups and downs with A Rod, but in the end, we 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 really clicked. And A Rod told him, he said, if Kevin asks you a question, make sure you answer because he's one of the few honest guys around. He'll um, and and from that day forward, Manny was always great with me. Um, he used to sometimes come over from the from Sarasota to the Mets to playing games in spring training because he lives in Miami, wanted to get on that side. And I'm pretty convinced. We'll see how it works out. I'm pretty convinced with him opting out and the whole Steve Cohen situation that he will uh, really make a play to be with the Mets because then you would have that forever infield lined up. They're all basically signed. You know, Alonzo will be signed soon. McNeil, Lindor, and Manny. And Manny wants to be in the playoffs every year, and that, and that will guarantee it. So we'll see how it works out. But you don't opt out. You opt out for more money. The market changes, but you also opt out to be in a situation. You love San Diego. I spent 10 years in San Diego, so I can relate both ways. But who knows if they can keep it up financially with 
everybody knows Steve Cohen can. So that's enough about me. Let's get right to our guest. Yeah, and, and to, just one quick on Manny. He's got to be looking at those 10-year deals these guys are getting throughout baseball and believing that he is deserving of one of those. So Absolutely. Uh, he, he might be, you know, he'll be the first guy to get two, like, $300 million deals. And, and the thing about Manny, too, real quick, and, and Pete can address this as well, you know, he plays defense so well. He, he, I think he's better than Arenado, really. Uh, Arenado makes unbelievable plays, but Manny makes everything smooth. And here's another point, and this is what we talk about in our – podcast that's why we're different than most podcasts we know the game you got to have a good third baseman now uh a really good third baseman because with the shortstop being you know kept at shortstop and not having three infielders over there and shifts and whatever both either ways or short um, third baseman moving to second base you need a real third baseman and manny is a tremendous tremendous third baseman he's matured quite a bit um i'm, I'm really curious to see how this works out because it's really fascinating yeah, great articles again. And please support our guys at Ball 9. They do a tremendous job of bringing light, real baseball stories. And, and Kevin spearheads those efforts over there. So we appreciate Ball 9 as well. And, and now to our guest, another guy who, you know, we had on Buddy Bangle earlier in, in the year, and I called him the most interesting man in the world. But I think Pete Caliendo has a, a, a pretty much a, a close claim to that one as well. He's touched down in 50 countries right now. And I always stake claim that we've, we're in 46 countries with our podcast. Maybe Pete can give us the other four here today after this interview. But it's touched down in 50 countries as a speaker. He's one of the most sought-after international baseball guys in the world. Um, anybody and everybody has him out there. He was involved with USA Baseball early on. And I will not do justice his bio. He's done some tremendous things I think it's easier to get to during the interview. But he, is, he can be heard on Baseball Outside the Box podcast. Phenomenal show. Tremendous host. Brings a lot to light. And very different, you know, as, as Kevin talked about our podcast, we, we approach things very differently. Pete does, uh, does the same thing in, in his arena of baseball and great teacher of the game. There's a reason why he sought after uh, in all these countries to come over. He understands not just the game of baseball, but the way the international game of baseball blends together. Um, so with that, I just want to welcome Pete Caliendo. Pete, welcome to the show. David, Kevin, thanks for having me, man. Uh, you guys do a great job. I love it. Uh, it's a great honor, especially after I saw yesterday – you guys also had Mike Piazza on. Wow. Yeah, we, we were fortunate to have uh, – we, we, we've had some great hosts here. Uh, obviously, you're meeting Kevin today. He's the, the star of our show. And uh, they, they just there's, – there's a trust factor, I think, with guys like Mike. And we have Jim Cott now as a, uh, a host of one of our shows. And uh, later on today, we have the Hawk Andre Dawson coming on to, to one of our other shows. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited to have those type of baseball guys, but equally excited to have you. I mean, you have a unique perspective on the game that we haven't had on the show yet. And um, I want to kind of start with uh, a country that I'm fascinated with, with baseball, if that's okay, is, is Cuba. You're one of the only coaches to be invited into their baseball world uh, from the beginning. How does that happen? And, you know, what kind of things are you doing over there in Cuba? And how have you maintained that relationship in line with what goes on in our world today? You know what, about, uh, I'll tell you what, about, oh man, 20 years ago, uh, I was very lucky. The WBSC, the World Baseball Softball Confederation, um, asked me to be on their technical committee. So for years, I've been working the Olympics, the Pan Am Games on the technical side, meaning, you know, we go on the field to make sure everything's run well prior to the game and also during protests, you know, dealing with managers. Well, during this time period and also prior to that, you know, I've um, been dealing with a lot of Cuban, ex you know, executives, players, coaches and all that. And, you know, over the years you make friends and, you know, you get along, you talk about certain things and all of a sudden, uh, 
you know, come Beijing Olympics, the president of the Cuban Baseball Federation at the time, also the national team manager uh, for the Cuban World Baseball Classic, um, he gives me a baseball bat signed by the team. You know, I didn't ask for it. And, you know, and I've known him. And over the years, you know, we just talk. And um, I thought I'd gained this trust. It takes time, you know, to gain the Cubans' trust because they don't really trust a lot of people. And I understand why. You know, they're trying to get people are always trying to get their players. And make a long story short, next thing you know, um, you know, they invite me out to do some clinics. Um, I go out and do that. And, you know, I've been there nine times. Um, and at the same time, you know, the last year I was there, they allowed me to travel Cuba, um, you know, with their with their staff. And we were working with all the different coaches. And, you know, it was a great honor because for an American to be there and be asked to do that. And, and there's a lot of guys better than me that can obviously go and train coaches around, you know, in Cuba. But I just happened to be right time, right place, you know, great situation um, and, uh, you know, became the, the only American prior to the revolution or after the revolution to, to have that honor. Um, but here's the interesting story. Ten years later is when I find out that that president of the Federation spoke Italian. Now, my first language is Italian. So that gives you an idea why they kind of, you know, they don't tell you everything at the beginning because they want to get to know you and get your trust. So it took about 15, 20 years to get that trust. Well, um, when you're over there, obviously the baseball in Cuba is, it's well known and, and well thought of. What makes it so good? You know what? Great question. I'll tell you why. Because, you know, you look at the Dominican Republic, you have a lot of great players coming out of there. Um, and there's a lot of players. Interesting enough, because you can't get into Cuba, I asked this question to the Federation when I was with them several times. How many players you got in your country? We know we, we know they got 11 million people living there, just like the Dominican, roughly. Um, and I was shocked by the response. The response was about 60,000 registered players. Think about that. Put that in perspective and what they've done with major league players that have played in the big leagues or anywhere else in the U.S. And at and and I looked at the system and I, you know as I'm traveling, I'm going. Now I know why they're so successful. Now. Baseball is run by the government. You know, it's all organized. You know, they do, they have done in the last 20 years over 200, or no, excuse me, 400 coaching clinics. So they travel around even with their own staff to train their coaches. Um, everything is pretty much taught the same. You know, not all the time. You know, you've got different coaches that might teach certain things, but pretty much they're trained the same. They train hard. They got a great league. And if you think about it, even in the old days when the Cuban Cuban teams had, you know, Kinderlin, Pacheco, Meza, all the big players, Linares. You know, they were playing, obviously, college players against the USA teams. But at the same time, even after they, when they went to play the Orioles, you know, you had to think, why, they, why how can they compete at that level when they don't get a chance to go, you know, compete worldwide that much? They might compete once or twice a year internationally. Well, their league's pretty good. You know, and obviously that's changed because, you know, a lot of players have left. So the league has gotten down a little bit, but they're still producing players. They've had academies, 14, 15 academies, where they take young, best, the best young players in Cuba and bring them into those regions, uh, 12 to 18 years old. They train them all year round. They feed them there. They go to school there. Um, so they're very organized, um, very disciplined in what they, you know, how they do things. And that's how you notice some of the Cuban players also don't sign till a little bit later or are a little bit more mature, um, you know, they might, you know, example is if, if they're hitters, they go the other way a little bit better than most young people that come out of other countries. Um, they're just trained, they're trained really good. Who, who's influenced their baseball the most, Cuba? Obviously, you know, they're, they're looking at our major league players, but I guess who's influenced the most and is, do 
you see a common thread throughout, you know, the countries that have an, an impact in Major League Baseball, Mexico, Puerto Rico, uh, you know, Cuba, Dominican, Venezuela? Um, what's the common thread between those countries in terms of development? You know, it's interesting you say that um, and you ask that question. I'll tell you why, because I'm going to mention some other countries and, I, and I'm going to give you the common thread of why the smaller countries with less players are developing a lot of major league players. Uh, take example, Curacao, per capita, mo- the most major league players um, that you know that are playing in the big leagues. Uh, Cuba is another one because of the sixty thousand. You look at the Netherlands. You know, even though they got Curacao, excuse me, um, Aruba, and some other islands that are part of their their country. Um, you look at Canada, Australia, all, all all countries that are small as far as percentages of players playing the game, still pretty good, uh, but small percentage of players playing the game, but yet a lot of college pro and big league guys, the common denominator is no doubt about it, guys. Um, and I've talked about this many times and I stress it as I go around the world is coaches development. Um, they all have fantastic coaches development programs where they train their coaches mandatory. You know, you've got to go through certification. Um, you've got to understand how to work with young kids. This allows them to get more kids, right? Um, the other countries, I mean, they, they do a pretty good job, obviously, in coaching, too. But you got to remember, I mean, we're looking at Dominican. How many players do they have? Venezuela, U.S., 26 million amateur players. Um, you know, Japan, you know, quite a few players. Uh, that's why I like to look at the smaller countries and what they're doing. So I think the common denominator, even with all of them, would be training your coaches properly, um, getting the kids excited to play the game, getting more kids to play the game, and then keeping them in the game, right? That's real important. If you can't keep them in the game, they're going to do something else. So um, I would say that's the those are the common denominators why we're seeing pretty good players in those countries. Yeah. Or do, you, do you think they're catching us in our country and maybe even surpassed us at our grassroots level in terms of that concept, coach development? Well, you know what? Um, I'll be honest with you. We've got great coaches, you know this, in the U.S., college, high school, you know, uh, pro um, you know, even travel coaches, you know, as much as people might say, well, travel baseball is bad. Yeah, it, it could be a detrimental depending on how you're running it. I agree. Um, but you've got good coaches at all levels. The, the difference is everybody's coaching, you know, what they believe in or what they want to, what they want to teach. Um, some of these other countries, they're keeping it simple, mandatory. Here's some of the things we're going to work on. They're going age per age. Um, countries like, there's no doubt about it. Countries like Australia, Canada have been way ahead of coaches development, far, far ahead of coaches development than any country in the world, including the U.S. We really, we really, if you think about it, USA Baseball just started, I think, what, maybe 10 years ago, yeah. a, coach, a coaches development program. Um, you know, because if you think about it, you know, all, you have Pony, Little League, and all the different national associations. They started first. Then, then USA Baseball came as the governing body of the sport. It wasn't that easy for them to start telling people exactly how to do things, you know, or that maybe, you know, coaches training should be mandatory. And I say should be um, because, you know, we've got volunteer coaches. If you look at our 14 under age groups, um, most of the 13 under, most of the coaches are parents. Um, They're volunteers, great people, well-intended. They want to help. But we just have to help them more because, you know, that's a critical age of development. I mean, if we don't understand how to work with young kids at that age, we're going to lose them. So the more we do in the U.S. in that area, the more we're going to keep kids in the game longer. Um, that's and that's what we're seeing, some, you know, within some of these other countries, they're keeping kids in the game longer. It's you know, it's a long-term goal. Um, it's not a short term just to keep them a few days, you know, for, for a couple of years, and then they find something else to do. Yeah, it's a war of attrition. I want. To, I got one more question for you, and I want to turn it over to Kevin. 
for a little bit. Um, as I, as we were communicating, you were, I think, traveling in Serbia at the time, and I was loving your, your posts and the food you're eating and, and all your, your, uh, your pictures. And it seems like you, you not only took it, took advantage of great baseball, but also great culture. Um, what's, give us an overview of what baseball is like in Europe. Cause we think when I think of Europe, I think more basketball right now, what's, what's baseball like in Europe? You know, Europe, you know, you think about it, you know, their battle has always been, you know, with football, you know, soccer, uh, what's called soccer in the U S you know, the majority of players are playing football, um, because, you know, that's the national sport. That's a sport where, you know, and I don't want to offend anybody that, you know, it's not, it's easier from the standpoint because young kids love it because they can run around, you know, and kick the soccer ball. And then you have to learn the rules and then you get into the training part and all that. But baseball is a lot more difficult when it comes to failure and, you know, because they're going to fail a little bit more. Um, so in Europe, they battle that, but boy, there's some countries doing some great job, you know, developing players. You know, you take a look right now at the Czech Republic. Um, they just made it to the world baseball classic qualifier and, um, they've been, you know, they're not a very big country as far as number of participants in the, in, in their country, they're playing the game. So the European players, Eastern Europe to me is one of the ones that are up and coming because those are where there's a lot of great athletes in Eastern Europe. Um, and there's the mentality is a little bit different, a coach there, and there's a lot of, uh, stronger ment, you know, uh, physically and also mentally because of what they've been through in a lot of the different wars there. Um, they're pretty tough. So dealing with failure is a little easier for them in the game. You've got countries like Germany, obviously the Netherlands and France, you know, they've developed some pretty good players. Netherlands because of their coaching development for sure. Uh, the Italians have a coaching development program, but they've been, you know, they've been playing the game a hundred years. Um, so they've been playing the game a long time. Uh, so I, I would say that, you know, it's, it, it grows little by little and depending on, the country and how they, you know, what plan they have with their coaches development, grassroots level, it'll grow more. But if they forget that part because they're focusing on the national team program only, because a lot of countries tend to do that because that's where the funding comes from. If they win at a national level, then, you know, if they forget the grassroots, they're going to lose out. So that you kind of see them go up and down at times, depending on the country. T- 10 years from now, who, who are we going to be talking about that nobody's aware of in international baseball? As far as country in Europe or all over the world, anywhere, yeah, anywhere. You know what, um, boy, that's a that's a good question. Who are we going to be thinking about? Um, well, yeah, I mentioned Czech Republic because you're going you're already seeing a bunch of guys signing in pro ball. Um, who would have been uh, would have been the Soviet Union, and no doubt about it. Uh, the Soviet Union, you know, in 15 years when I played against them in the 90s before you know the breakup was the fastest growing, uh, was the fastest developing baseball country in Europe. No doubt about it, in my opinion, because of the way that, you know, they train the systems they use in their, with their athletes. I, I know that, you know, they've been caught with uh, steroids. That's not a good thing. Um, but at the same time, they've developed some pretty good players. They had three players signed in 15 years when I played against them, um, with the twins and, uh, so I, I would say an Eastern black country, um, Lithuania has the first big leaguer, um, you know, Bulgaria just got, you know, a player signed from the Cubs. I, I'm going to say an Eastern black country because of, you know, they're just starting to pick up steam. I like that. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've been in Curacao. I went there with Didi DeGlorious when he came to the Yankees, and I found him, tracked him down, and had to use local scouts to find him and spent like three days <laughs> with him. You know, it was a great time, and the kids there. And 
you know, that that country, um, you know, I, I was so impressed because, you know, I'm a guy who could just speak English, a little bit of Spanish, not much. And, uh, you know, they, they speak like three languages there. So <laughs> traveling the world for baseball is, is a great experience. And one of the things I wanted to point out to uh, have you point out and explain to us, you talk about humor being important and how you, how you coach, too. Just give us some examples of humor with kids, how you kind of break the ice or where it's good, where it's good and where, where it works. Absolutely. You know, I really believe, you know, and I'll give you an example. I know every country has a way of doing their own thing. You know, I remember going into the Cuban locker room several times and, you know, again, been very lucky just to walk in and, and visit with the guys and the coaches. And, you know, that locker room prior to a game, but we're talking about whether it be the Olympics or it didn't matter what the event was, was, man, they were loose. They were having a good time. They were relaxed. Right. The music was going. Um you know, and it's just a matter of philosophy. I mean, it doesn't mean, you know, that that only works. It could, you know, I'm sure other things work. Then you walk in some other um, countries and, boy, it's like somebody died, right? Nobody uh, nobody wants to talk to each other. Everybody's, you know, nervous or maybe they're preparing, right? It's a mental thing. I get it. Um, I like the I like the Cuban way. I like the relaxed way. Um, that same thing when, when we're in games. You know, kids have enough pressure, and I want to stress the coaches out there, you know, You've got to have discipline, obviously, with your players. I get all that. You got to be organized. Um, you got to be motivated, right? You got to motivate kids. You got to, you know, get them excited. Um, at the same time, you got to let them relax. And how you let them relax is simply by, you know, doing a few things. One, asking some questions. Two, throwing in a joke here and there. Um, three, what's you know, a, what's a standard joke that works? You know what? I give you an example. You go out to the mound, you know, and you got to, you know, and you have to know your players, right? You, you know. Um, if you got a player who's really, you know, a great player and he's really tough and they, and he's struggling for a second and, and you go out, maybe he gave up two, three runs, you know, you can take him out, you know, and you go out to the mounds, you know, and talk to him. And he, and uh, one thing you don't want to say is how do you feel? Because they're going to tell you great all the time. Mm -hmm. um, well, I've made that mistake of saying, you know, how do you feel? And, you know, and the young kid, you know, 13 year old says, coach, I feel great. And, you know, and my response was, well, I know you feel great, but your outfielders are exhausted. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the, and you get a smile out of the kid, you know, and, and you've got to be able to smile. Or how about, you know, even in practice, you know, I might have a kid come. I, we never tell the outs in practice or games. In other words, I never tell players how many outs there are. We always ask um, because that keeps them in the game. So kid comes to third base. You say, hey, uh, Jim, how many outs you got? Uh, oh, you know, two. I go, you sure? And it, they're kind of hesitant, right? Right, right, so, right. So I'll go, okay, good luck. And I walk away. You know, and uh, and I smile doing it, right? Because I want to, you know, I want to get a laugh out of him a little bit. Because now he's wondering, well, what's, maybe I'm wrong, Coach. Uh, what are the outs? You know, so that kind of interaction, not taking everything so serious all the time, I think is good for for the game, for the coaches, and for the kids. Well, and you also get your message across, like you know, pay attention, but in Absolutely. a nice way, you know, and 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 that's what you're you're searching for. I sense a uh, a little bit of a Chicago accent here, and. Um, it just so happened I was speaking earlier today with Billy Milos, longtime scout with the Twins, mm. and uh, I, I think you know Billy well, right? Uh, yes, great guy. Known him a long time with the Pitch and Hit Club, and living in Chicago all my life. Absolutely. And Bill, Bill, Billy's kind of made a, um, you know, he's got a, got a reputation for finding guys in independent leagues. Let everybody know a little bit about your independent league background as well, because uh, you know that that's grassroots in a in a different way. Yeah, in 98, I started with the 98, 99, I lose track because of age. But um, mm, me too. 
Right. I mean, it's like, uh, what year was that? The, uh, so, you know, you don't want people to check you and all that stuff, but it was 98, 99. And, uh, Jay Ward, former major league player who was a coach friend of mine, uh, was with Thunder Bay whiskey jacks in the Northern league, the, you know, the very first league, um, best at one time, the best independent league in, in the country started by miles wolf, you know, baseball America owner and all that. And, uh, so I went there. I never, you know, I, was, I think it was 38. I was with Team USA prior to that. I've never been in pro ball. You know, Jay gave me a chance. And uh, all of a sudden I'm coaching, you know, AAA guys, AA guys, some big league guys. Um, and then from there went on to Schaumburg, Illinois, which that French, because Thunder Bay was bought out. And I lived 10 minutes from Schaumburg. Um, so it was a perfect fit. And I became the director of baseball operations, never knowing really what – what to do, what that meant was you're going to put the teams together for Schaumburg, um, which was a thrill because that's kind of like being a general manager on a smaller scale. Yes. So now you're dealing with contracts, you're dealing with understanding, you know, it's not rotisserie baseball well, like some guys think, but, um, you know, it's serious in some ways because you got to win. And the, uh, the ability to put a team together, not just the best players, but also with restrictions because the restrictions on number of veterans you can have and number of rookies and so forth. There was a whole dynamic there. That was a lot of fun. So coaching the, you know, Schomburg and also putting the team together was, it was a great time. After that, I was fortunate enough also to be hired. I went on my own and I was hired by different teams, um, independent teams to put their clubs together. So that was exciting. So I spent about 10 years doing that. Um, and again, very lucky to be able to, not, not even knowing what I was doing, just kind of falling right into it. And a guy by the name of John Dietrich, who's been in the game a long time independently, was the guy that gave me that chance, took a chance on me. And we did pretty good. We went to the playoffs, at World Series also. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And the other thing that, that I find really interesting is, uh, and you mentioned, um, you know, a good friend of the show, and I've known him forever in the family, Mike Piazza and Mike living in Italy and everything. And, uh, you know, he, he, he'll sometimes call me and tell me about the different churches he visits out there and things like that. There's a, there's another side to Mike that, you know, away from the baseball side, that's really mm -hmm. uh, deeply religious and everything. But you, you've been, uh, you've been to the Vatican as well. So uh, how does baseball get you to the Vatican? Yeah, that, absolutely. And the other thing I want to mention too, is Mike Piazza, you know, I've met him like three, four times. He's really nice. He, he remembers you, he, you know, I, I met him with the national team a few times and, um, the Vatican itself, the, you know, this is a tie to Cuba because we went to Cuba with a father from the New York area, um, the archdiocese there. And the idea was that just with the church, you know, to promote the, the game, but also to help young kids in the, ch in the church. So we were going to play, you know, and instruct kids in some of the Cuban churches, which is not easy because of the Cuban government um, yes. you know, being very yes. careful. Um, so we... We went there, we got, you know, we did, we went, traveled a little bit in Cuba, you know, went to the different churches. Sometimes we were shut out, told we were, you know, we could use this facility, then got there and said, we can't use it. We had to go somewhere else. Um, well, within that realm of, you know, uh, with, with the contact with the father, um, you know, later on, uh, you know, I'm heading to the Vatican. And I find out that the father's working for the Pope um, in a special uh, abuse area of, of children at the Vatican. So, you know, obviously, I, you know, I texted him and got a chance to go see him. And he lived in the same building where the Pope's at. Almost got a chance to see the Pope. Not quite. Um, he was going to take me up to, to see him, but he wasn't there. And I, just timing, right? Um, but I got a chance to go, you know, walk around the Vatican and see the Vatican from the from the inside. And that was fascinating. And by the way, 
uh, first language Italian, raised in Italy from three to six. My parents sent me to Rome to live with my grandparents at three years old. Um, and I did my first communion um, at the Vatican also. So there's a lot of ties there. That's, uh, you must have made a lot of people in your family proud. You know what? My, my parents were proud of us, both my brother and I. But really give the credit right to my parents. They had an idea. They sent me there to live with my grandparents so I could learn the language. That helped me with Spanish. You know, uh, talk about, you know, traveling on your own with a, with a flight attendant at three years old, um, being away from your mom, and all of a sudden landing in Rome and your grandparents are there. Um, so that life experience was something that, you know, I think my parents understood. And if it wasn't for them, again, you know, wouldn't have done any of that. Well, you almost were destined to travel the world in baseball with that kind of background. And uh, one other one quick before Dave, I throw it back to Dave, but Dick Birmingham, he he, he was a uh, influence in your life, correct? Yeah, I'll tell you what, 15 years old, what did I do? I wanted to go to a baseball school, Kevin, to learn, uh, you know, to get better, right? I was just an average player, nothing special. Everybody goes to a baseball school. I go to Mickey own baseball school, right? 50 states, they come from all over the world. Um, I get there and you know, I look at the place and uh, coming from Chicago, I look at it and it's like, you know, rustic and there's, it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no air conditioning. Uh, there's <laughs> bugs everywhere. You know, my parents drive me there and I, th- I say to my parents, you know, uh, you know, I'm not staying. And my, well, you don't know my dad, you know, hardcore Italian, man, you made a commitment. You're staying, you ain't going anywhere. Right. And, uh, and he was right. You know, he, he, you know, made the commitment. They didn't have a lot of money. They, they made the sacrifice because they knew I love baseball. And next, you know, I meet Dick Birmingham at 15 and he, you know, he kind of takes you under your wing as a student. I became a student. I was a counselor, a coach, assistant coach at the age of 17, 21. I was director of baseball instruction for the younger kids, the, 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 the 12 and under and everything snowballed from there because of Dick Birmingham, like a second father. If it wasn't for him. And I say this all the time, I'm not doing none of this stuff in baseball. Zero. Um, he's the one that took me to the ABCA you know, the largest baseball convention in the world for coaches, introduced me to everybody. I mean, um, you know, that's just a special person, right? I mean, because what's the, what's the benefit, right? Just try, he's just trying to help a young kid. Um, and, and we were friends for, obviously, for a lifetime. Well, it's, it's so important to have mentors in life. And, uh, and, and obviously, Dick became that for you. And I'll get back to you with our, a special question we usually always ask our guests at the end. But I'm going to throw it back to Dave right now. Yeah, we don't want to forget that one. This is this could be a unique answer to that. With the, with that particular school, the Mickey Owen Baseball School. What are some? I'm sure you have a lot of your roots in what you learned there as both a student and teacher. What are some of those things that you impress upon kids today? You know, the most important thing, and something that I did not have at all. I think I stressed this more than anything. Um, learn right away to deal with failure. Um, I was terrible at it, guys. Uh, I was terrible in baseball. I was terrible. In uh, racquetball, which was my best sport, I played at a really high level. I mean, I broke rackets, yelled at umpires, referees. I didn't yell as much at umpires in, in the game of baseball. But um, I think dealing, understanding how to deal with failure, and that's I really stressed that to the coaches and getting them to get, you know, teaching their kids really at a young age and parents, right? Uh, I know it's hard, you know, because you don't want to see your kids fail. They're going to fail. But you know what? The, easy, the sooner they start failing a little bit and understanding how to deal with that failure, um, the better they're going to be on later on. Because, you know, even, you know, the best players, you know, sometimes they're doing so well. And all of a sudden, you know, at 15, they start to fail. They don't know how to deal with it. And that's when they're head cases. So I, I, I like, you know, it's kind of like 
you know, when we have practice games and games for real young kids, I want them to make decisions. So I encourage players to make their own decisions, even at 10 years old, the ball's in front of you, make that decision if you're going to third or not. We, we don't need a coach to do that. The kid needs to do that because that's how they're going to learn, right? They're going to make that mistake. You're going to talk about it and ask them, well, how did you make that decision? And then you can, you know, give them some information to help them in the future. And that's how they get better. Michael Jordan said that. He said the reason he was so successful because he failed so many times when he was younger. So I think dealing, dealing with failure, getting kids, I love to get, tell kids, hey, make a decision. Don't worry about it. You know, if you want to pick a guy off at first base, turn and throw the ball to first. You throw it over the first baseman's head, hey, we just need to practice a little bit more. That's all. Um, and, and, you'll, and then you know what you need to work on. So I think those are the things that I, I got at Mickey Young Baseball School. I didn't, I didn't use them as best as I could, you know, later on. Um, but that's what I stress more now with coaches and kids. Yeah. And today's kid is different than obviously than when, when we grew up. We talk often on the show about how we learned the game. And a lot of it was with our friends and, and or by ourselves. There weren't coaches around us uh, to teach us how to throw hit for the most part. You, you mentioned, you kind of alluded to, there's an ecosystem around these kids. It's coaches, it's parents. When you're out speaking, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad, how do you address the, the, the parents uh, that surround the kids at games and at practices? Do, do you have any messages to them? Absolutely. Um, you know, what actually it's the message would be to the coaches. Um, don't be afraid to get the parents included in certain things. And what do I mean by that? If you're confident in your ability as a coach, the, you know, the ability to communicate, uh, to make decisions and why you do certain things, don't keep the parents. See, in the old days, we used to keep the parents away all the time. And the more you keep, you know, no matter what, they're going to be part of their son or daughter's uh, life uh, and, 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 in, and in training. So the more you include them and let them listen to what you're doing. I know this is scary for coaches sometimes, but I, you're seeing a, a change here in the game when it comes to high school coaches too. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to make decisions, but include them in player meetings. Um, I include parents in player meetings all the time. Why? Because I'm sending a message to the parents also. Um, you know, I want them to know what we're doing every day. Um, now, when it comes to drawing a line, obviously, you know, you're going to draw a line of playing time, you know, let the player come to you if you, if they have a, if they have an issue with playing time, um, have that open door. But you know, there's no parents that are, you know that line's got to be drawn where the parents aren't included in that discussion. But with everything else, you know, like uh, I have teams that travel around the world, right? And uh, we'll we'll have a team meeting in the morning. Parents are included. We're on the bus talking. Parents are included. After a ball game, parents are included. And when we talk to the players, um, why? Because certain things happen in games that parents wonder why you did something. Um, well, you don't want, you don't want the player to translate that for you when they go home. You want you want that to be translated right away. Um, I'll give you a quick example if you got time. Yeah. Um, I had uh, I, I had a team. We went to play Dominican Republic in a, in a tournament, and you know parents are tough, and uh, we we got the game going on, and uh, runner missed second base, and now he's standing on third base. This is something a lot of people really don't know, and I knew at a young age. Um, well. Most people would appeal to second base. Um, we don't appeal to second. We appeal to third, tag the runner until the umpire he missed second because we don't want that runner to score because um, if the runner scores and they call the guy, you know, the runner safe, you know, with the appeal, then you just lost a run. Um, so that's exactly what we did. But my players didn't know. So I told my third, my pitcher, I just yelled it out, step off, throw the ball to third, tag the runner, and tell him that he missed second base. Now, they've never done it before, but I figured he could at least throw the ball to third. Well, he did, you know, 
he stepped up through the third base, threw it over the third baseman's head, you know, and the guy scored. And, you know, so you could wonder what, what the parents are thinking, right? This coach, I mean, you know, we've never met him. What, what, you know, what's he doing throwing a third? Because most dads or moms that are coaching or even, you know, even high school, even pro guys, because you never seen in the big leagues either, professional ball, would throw to second base. So, you know, in my meeting, of course, I'm addressing that um, because that covers what happened at that particular time. Education is important. So I, I believe in educating parents, coaches, and players together so we have a better system. Yeah, it's a different world nowadays, and parents can undo a practice on the car ride home if they're not um, communicated to properly. I, I like what you're doing. I'll give you one quick one, then, then we uh, I want you to share a little bit about your podcast too, but... I don't know if this would translate overseas, but I had to do a talk the other day with with parents at a, a youth league, and I put players out there. They wanted to do a mini practice plan, teach the parents what was going on in practice. So I did a 15-minute plan. Notice that the parents were trying to coach their kids in it, and the message was one voice. Um, so we reversed it. We put the parents in the practice drill, and the coaches had let me know that parents are screaming during games. And you know, just indiscriminate instructions, run, throw, go, you know, what are you doing? You know, we love the essay question in the middle of a baseball game, uh, (laughs) you know, they, so we put the parents out there in the same five minute drill, they got to watch and we had them do it and they were exhausted, um, doing just one simple baseball drill. And then I gave the players index cards with one of those non-discriminate instruction pieces on it, whether it was throw it and I had them scream at it for three minutes at their parents. And the word I got from the parents was that was unnerving. That wasn't fun. That wasn't a reminder. That's what you're doing to your kids. Awesome. And so, so the coach actually made up index cards for the parents. I said, you know, these are principles that we're trying to get across. You can echo call it. We called it. So try to use the parents for good, and not evil. They are a part of the process, like it or not. But, uh, you know, I, I like the approach to it. You have to let me know if you use that one overseas, I guess, use it, use it in a friendly country so they don't get, you know, deport you. You know I'm going to use it. There's no doubt about it. That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's what's great about the game. And you can learn something every day, all the time, man, if you just listen. Yeah. Well, sh- share about your podcast. It's a unique podcast, uh, Baseball Inside the Box. Share, because we want our, our audience listeners to, to listen to yours today. As soon as they listen to ours, jump on yours and start following you. What, what can they expect in your podcast? Well, first of all, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it, because you guys got a lot of listeners, man. With 12,000 subscribers. Um, that's fantastic. Uh you know, baseball outside the box. I started what three years ago, um, and during the pandemic, I was able to do 300 shows, and um, it was basically so I can get better, right? I mean, I get a chance to interview all kinds of different, you know, experts in the game, whether it be you know coaches, players, nutritional people, doctors. I mean, all facets of the game in the U.S. and around the world. Um, you know, we're lucky to be in 100 countries because we have different coaches that are listening in those countries, um, and you know, it's you know, the idea was. And this is something I stress at a lot of coaching programs I do. Don't always teach what you've been taught. You know, think about, you know, learn from others, but take what you've learned and add onto it by being creative, you know, by trying different things, by not being afraid of, you know, making decisions um, in, in, in your practice plan that might be a little bit different than everybody else is doing. So that's why I call it Baseball Outside the Box and allowed me to learn, but also to share with coaches around the world, different top experts in the game and not just uh, experts in the game that are, you know, been around the game a long time, but even some young people that are coming up. I love to give them an opportunity to tell people, you know, what they're doing in the game and how they're teaching or what they're teaching and hitting or pitching or specific skills. Um, 
because that, you know, a lot of times those young people, you know, coach Birmingham gave me a chance and, um, I love it when I can give a person 24, 28, 30, you know, a lot younger than me, an opportunity to tell everybody out there, you know, what they're doing, you know, how they're teaching, maybe a specific drill or game or skill that they came up with. Because I love the coaches that come up with creative skills or drills that translate into a real game situation that that nobody ever thought about, you know, that's brand new. Those are the things that I'm trying to really get created in the, in, in in the uh, show. So that's, a, that's, you know, it's a, it's an audio show. It's a, it's a video show. Also we're, we're on all the social media networks of baseball outside the box. And I really thank you for allowing me to talk about it. Yeah. And that's how we can, they, the audience can find you to search baseball outside the box. On yes. Twitter. Yep. It's on Twitter. We're on, we're all, we're on all the social, you know, Spotify and um, iTunes and all the networks. Okay, great. And I know it's a part of our homeschool. Actually, we homeschool our four kids. So it's part of the curriculum, baseball outside the box. So you made it. Oh, you guys are awesome. (laughs) And then I turn it back over to Kevin asks our guests. uh, It's very, you know, I'll let him him describe a great question. It's going to bring out an awful lot. Go ahead, Kevin. Well, Pete, it's been great having you. And uh, obviously you're a baseball treasure and this is uh, people are going to learn a lot from this. And this is what we try to do. We try to teach a little bit and also learn ourselves. It's a simple question. Uh, the answer is not always simple, but answer it any way you want in any situation. But what does it mean to you, Pete Cayendo? What does it mean to you to be a ball player? What does it mean to me, Kevin, to be a ball player? Um, when I when I played, I mean, it, to me, it's really. I mean, it, it may sound a little weird, but it's basically, you know, the ability just to hang out with your buddies. Um, to be with your friends, you know, yeah. um, to, to do something outside of the everyday grind, whether you're a student, you know, or whether you're working, you know, cause you know, a lot of the guys are playing baseball, you know, till they're 60, 70, um, you know, with the senior league. So, you know, it's a way to get away from everything. And it's the same thing when I travel overseas, right? I mean, uh, if I was traveling overseas as a player, it's a way to just get away from all the daily stuff and, and, uh, and have some fun and just play the game. Um, and what it's taught me the most is the ability to deal with failure. And I'm still trying to deal with it because I'm not that good at it. Um, but it's, it's really, um, it's a sport that builds camaraderie and, and allows you to, to, to understand what it you know means to fail and bounce back up and, and that, that you got another chance. Cause you're not, you got another at bat, you know, so that that's the fun part of the game. I think, uh, that's what the game does for me as a player. Great answer. Great show. Thanks, Pete. And I'll I'll let Dave sign off here. Yeah, Pete, thanks. Thank you again for coming on. And for our audience, remember, make sure that we're supporting baseball outside the box with Pete Cayendo's show. And again, support Kevin over at Ball 9. Tremendous articles every week. You'll get two from him. They do a phenomenal job over there. To our faithful audience, 46 countries, grassroots, all the way up to Major League front offices now. Let's make sure that we continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. Be active with us on social media. We'll respond back, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I do a question of the day every morning. And continue to follow all of our guests that have been on the show and continue to support all of our shows here. But with that, I want to thank uh, Kevin again for for you doing what you do for the show. And then Pete, thanks again for sharing with our audience. And you said 100 countries. Boy, I hope we pick up a few more. That'd be awesome if we could do that from from having you on. So you got our continued support here. Let us know. We continue to help. But thanks again, Pete. Thank you, David. Thanks, Kevin. God bless y'all, man. And I definitely put, I'll put the show on my podcast because I want to get it out to everybody I know. So thank you so much. Have a good, good week. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic.
Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. Talking big.